hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Scholar Tea. I am Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna, and I need my cuticles manicured stat. Please, please, we need a manicurist on the line, please. Manicurist stat. on the line. So, <laughs> Shauna, how you feeling today? Describe your mood as if you were a geographic location. Today, my mood is the state of Michigan, the great state of Michigan, the best state on earth. Uh, resourceful, varied degrees of terrain. You you need some city. We got some city, you know, gators, furs. We got, got chili cheese. Got gators? Yeah, we got gator shoes. you you like a little country we've got plenty of water it's very clean for now it's It's cold in the d see all those things you know just rich so i'm feeling rich yeah Yeah. motown hey just know you're blessed and highly favored okay just like the state of michigan Okay, and that's your mood today. Blessed and highly favored. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. I got it. Okay, okay. I'm giving Chesapeake Bay, you know, DC, DMV, you know, just so many options of the mood on today. It's March Madness. Hopefully your brackets have not been busted. We'll see if there's a winner by the time this episode drops. Um, but anyways, I am giving Chesapeake Bay because that is one of my favorite cities is D.C. And this is my favorite time of the year in terms of the academic year because it's conference season, spring conference season, where I get to see my peoples that give me energy, that give me life, that give me restorative um, things to bring back to campus. That's what D.C. gives to the people, gave the, <laughs> gave the country life, gave the country purpose. A little bit but, of slavery. You know. It's all, it's all, we all had a history. We all got a pass. <laughs> um, and on the, the cherry blossoms start to blossom soon too, right? Yes, yes. And that's how you know, like season, seasons of, you know, seasons of change, you know, I just really in love, in love it. I love that mood. It sounds restorative. So we are in season three. This is episode two. And I am so excited that we get to come back and be in community with our listeners and with, with our people. So on this episode, we are going to highlight our Scholar of the Week, Dr. Cedric Taylor. We're going to spill some tea about DEI and DEI bureaucracies. Dr. Monroe France is stepping into the Scholar Tea streets to holla at me and Shauna and drop some gems for y'all. And then I'm going to talk about what's problematic. Have y'all been watching SWV and Escape, Queens of R&B? We're going to catch Shauna up. And we're going to also highlight what's problematic. Jokes of the week, Shauna's going to leave y'all with. And we have some celebrations to offer for the people. Shauna, let's get into it. So this week's Scholar of the Week is Cedric Taylor. Dr. Cedric Taylor is a Jamaican-born filmmaker and holds the position of Associate Professor of Sociology at Central Michigan University. His teaching and research focus is on race, racial health disparities, immigrant health, environmental justice, and visual sociology. Dr. Taylor is a public sociologist who employs film, visual media, and storytelling to engage the broader community in conversations around racism and social and environmental justice. He is the writer, director, and co-producer of the documentary film, Nor Any Water to Drink, Flint's Water Crisis, which has been screened throughout the country and internationally. 
He enjoys connecting with the public through public speaking and workshops and is currently a visiting professor at the University of Michigan School of Environment and Sustainability. Big ups to Cedric Taylor, aka Maud. So um, we're going to spill a little tea around the contemporary conversation around DEI. And Amna Khalid and Jeffrey Aaron Snyder recently published an op-ed in The Chronicle, which was titled, DEI Goals Are Worthy, Campus DEI Bureaucracies Fail Them. And then the subtext goes on to read, anyone and everyone can deploy the quote-unquote harm rationale to curtail academic freedom. Khalid and Snyder prefaced their article by indicating they understand and appreciate the importance of DEI in higher education and that a critique of approach doesn't mean a critique of DEI in its entirety. They go on to write, when it comes to teaching, Hawkins, it's a person who they're responding to in their op-ed, asserts to balancing academic freedom with academic responsibility will sometimes require harmful and offensive speech to be condemned, especially when it serves to no legitimate educational purpose. This is a real head scratcher. In the classroom, academic freedom does not need to be balanced with the helping of academic responsibility any more than steak frites needs to be balanced with a side of fries. Responsibility in the form of professional competence is already an essential ingredient. Academic freedom is not a license to mouth off or teach whatever material suits your fancy. If a professor's speech serves no legitimate educational purpose, then by definition, it's not protected by academic freedom. Our point is that today, anyone and everyone can deploy the harm rationale to curtail academic freedom. Academic freedom, Hawkins insists, will sometimes need to cede to the responsibility of academic administrators to effectuate the institutional commitment to diverse equity inclusion. But unlike judges who have extensive training in legal matters, administrators often lack the requisite knowledge and expertise about academic freedom to make informed decisions. The authors went on to share examples of administrative decisions where faculty were reprimanded uh, for their pedagogical approach or were curtailed from engaging in activities that were in relationship to the research. Uh, What I find troubling about this opinion is the way quote unquote administration was treated with a broad brushstroke. Many DEI administrators, for instance, have at least one terminal degree, often a JD, and further tying the outcomes of ill-fated faculty in politically charged tangles with DEI Incorporated, which is what I presume also including the positioning of DEI executive administrators, seemed to be a stretch. Uh, perhaps the issue here is that they were responding to an individual DEI officer who stated that academic freedom should at times take a back seat to offensive speech, but I still think broad strokes were painted to designate DEI administrators as incompetent. And as an educator in the classroom, I was just wondering what your perspective was. Well, I mean, that's that's the issue mm-hmm. with broad understandings of academic freedom and broad understandings of freedom of speech, right? That's the issue with with this is that we constantly shift the goalpost on the meaning and the outcome when it comes to freedom of speech. And we do the same thing with academic freedom. And in some instances, we probably should because it should be contextualized. It should change with, with the time and how we've evolved as a people, right? But what academic freedom means now, it did not mean that in the 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and really thinking thinking critically about, about this, this concept of academic freedom. The other issue with academic freedom is that it's projected as, it's, as if it is objective when really academic freedom is subjective and the institution, the union, the collective bargaining agreement gets to define what academic freedom is. And that is not always translate from state to state, from institution to institution, or from role to role, right? 
So for me, this in the classroom, somebody that's recently earned tenure, academic freedom, I know does not mean or give me the license to say anything I want to say. But I think my identities and uh, my experiences in higher education has informed my understanding of who academic freedom is for and who it protects. Where mm. some people think that they can say whatever the hell they want to say because of academic freedom um, and what it affords them or what they think it affords them. And nobody's going to check them. Um, and I can offend who I want to offend under the guise of academic freedom. And I kind of feel like I'm talking in circles here, but I say all of that to say that now academic freedom is not doing what it intended to do in the sense of allowing people to think critically, allowing people not to be uh, censored or silenced for the sake of not offending, but for the sake of pushing people's knowledge, pu pushing people to expand their worldview. And now it's being used or even weaponized in a sense to not get at its roots or it intended to get at, right? And, and as someone, honestly, that does straddle both sides, right? Like, I'm a faculty member at other institutions and I'm an administrator at my primary institution. So I get it. I think there's some concern around faculty who increasingly feel like we're centralizing what it means to speak on behalf of the institution, for example, and what that actually entails. Um, one of the examples that was written in the op-ed was in response to some faculty who were speaking on anti-abortion legislation and its impact on the health and well-being of folks at that institution. Uh, at the administration at that institution was not necessarily thrilled that they wrote that piece. That's happened here at Florida State. I believe three law professors were subpoenaed to testify on their expertise of, it might've been criminal justice reform. It actually might've been an abortion law, but it, they were asked to testify on their expertise in the legal counsel at the university told them they couldn't, but I'm like, if they're subpoenaed, right? Like It was civil rights legislation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. That was actually one of the examples that was called as well. I mean, I understand because you were called in because of your expertise. Uh, why, why are you then burdening me further? Um, and I think I'm we can actually being called. And court. we can understand that you are not speaking on behalf of the entire institute. Like I, I can, I can compartmentalize that, right? Mm -hmm. Can people, I guess people can't. Some people can't. But I, I think the other misstep here is the, the combination, or I would say maybe even uh, the confusion around DEI incorporated or DEI administration um, and some of the things that you really need to be able to execute well on a campus to get at some of the issues that you're trying to curtail on your campus uh, and some of the things that they were listing here. And I think anybody yeah. worth their salt would understand that by and large, most of those uh, spaces on campuses are generally underfunded, under-resourced, so they can't I, I, perform. I will say this, that these chief diversity officers who sometimes are also in the office of HR, I think is problematic. And they're and problematic for cases such as understanding the impacts of what this is, because HR's responsibility is to protect the institution and not necessarily protect the people or keep people safe from, from harm of other people, right? When they say that, that's what they do, but sometimes I don't see that. And then there's misalignment when thinking about the outcomes of what DEI should be. For example, like equity from an HR lens is very different than equity from a DEI outcome lens sometimes um, when we think critically about that. Um, and, and that's my issue with 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 the DEI Inc. or other forms of DEIs and how is DEI actually situated in the structural 
organization and the bureaucracy of the institution? And can DEI within itself hold people accountable or is it a branch of HR or other, other components of the institution? And then it really waters down what it can actually, the impact it can actually have. Well, and that was really my point because it doesn't matter how pure the person's heart is, even if they don't have HR or Title IX, you know, some of those other pieces attached to their office, their suite, uh, their wing, their portfolio, if that institution has kind of stripped its ability to do mm-hmm. what it's actually being tasked and called to do. And some would argue that that role is also similar to HR, one that is set up to protect the institution, not the people within it. I think the the argument was really flat. I think anybody that really understands the complicated nature of this kind of work, these situations um, would know that it's not that easy. Well, that's what's going on in these higher ed streets. All right. Our guest this week is Dr. Monroe France, Senior Associate Vice President for Global Engagement and Inclusive Leadership at NYU, has recently been named Vice Provost for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice at Tufts. In this newly created role, Dr. France is responsible for cultivating and executing key strategic priorities for DEIJ and guiding and coordinating related initiatives and policies across the Tufts campuses. Dr. France brings to Tufts more than 25 years of global experience as an educator, strategist, consultant, trainer, and presenter in the areas of inclusive and innovative leadership, transformation, and human rights. Over the course of his 20-plus year career um, at NYU and across numerous roles, he has been responsible for expanding DEIJ opportunities and resources for students, researchers, faculty, staff, and administrators across the university's global network. Dr. France is the lead instructor for NYU Global Inclusive Leadership and Management Institute and is a founder and co-principal for NYU Environmental and Racial Justice Network. He is an adjunct professor at the NYU Silver School of Social Work and the NYU um, Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development, Higher Education and Student Affairs Program. Let's welcome Dr. Monroe France to the Scholar T Streets. Hey, everyone. We are joined today by Dr. Monroe France, and we are very happy to see you um, and welcome you into the space. So thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. Um, So we're going to start with a a question around, you know, thinking about your trajectory. And um, we're wondering what originally drew you to pursue a career in the academy? Well, so I thought when I was a young boy and like thinking back on my what I wanted to do with my life, I thought I was going to be in fashion. And my dream was to be, I didn't really know exactly what in fashion, but I knew I wanted to work in fashion. When I was in high school, my last two years of high school, I was in a fashion merchandising program. And so then I we had someone come present to our class about working in fashion. I was like, that sounds fabulous. That's exactly what I want to do. So then as I was applying to colleges, my great grandmother, who was raising me and my two brothers at that time, along with my great uncle, had said to me, no, boy, you're going to be an educator. So I thought I was going to be subversive. I went on to four year college study, like to study the nice road in business. And I was like, business is not my thing. But I thought that was going to be my pathway to going into um, going into fashion. And then 
I studied education in English and African American studies, and I still thought all along the way, she don't know what she's talking about. I'm going to go back and get into like going back. I'm going to go into fashion eventually. And then, you know, I heard about this thing called higher education and you like doing the head of my like undergraduate student body. I was homecoming king involved in as an RA. I was like, you know, hall director for some orientation, did all those things. Right. And I heard that this is a career field at some point. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But eventually I still will go into fashion. Um, and long story short, I started in higher education and I felt like it was right for me. I found my, my home. But I left and I diverged and I left higher education for a bit and, and tried to go into fashion. And even after I got a degree in fashion from the Fashion Institute of Technology, I, um, which was my degree for myself. And my great grandmother was right. After I went into the fashion world, I realized I'm meant to be an educator. Um, and I did not want to educate on the show, like in the showroom or working with models, because that's what I felt like I was being a disruptor in that industry and it just wasn't right for me. And so I found my way back to higher education. And I do feel in terms of my core like career um, and where I need to be professionally, where I can make the most impact is in education. And so I'm thankful to my great grandmother who knew more of what I should have been, should have been even than I knew um, at the time when I was this young, like, you know, aspirational um, black boy growing up that, you know, that my voice was meant to be in the space of education and, and impacting the lives of young people. Um, and, and everyone who works in the field of the academy. Yeah. Ooh, the elders. Let me tell you about the elders. The elders. Okay. Always. A thing. They're a thing. They're Gui a thing. Guiding, the, <laughs> guiding your life, okay? Yes. Whether you want yes. them to or not. Yes. Um, especially so. Black women. Especially Black women. You want to know something, call a Black woman. Right? <laughs> Amen. Yes. Yes. Dr. Friends, can you talk to us about how your global international experiences inform how you show up and do your work um, with diversity, equity, and inclusion? So for me, you know, working in the global space and especially in like the diversity, equity and inclusion world, um, it helps you to be more innovative in how you think about these conversations, because, you know, the work in the, the history of the field has grown up really in the westernized, especially in the United States. Um, but as we know that, like, you know, we're like our world has become more and more global. Our students are coming from everywhere, right? And, and these are students from all kinds of backgrounds that right, are coming from everywhere, have had a global experience. And so in order to be able to contextualize the conversations that are reflective of the world that you know, our young people are going into, like, or either the world in which that we now live, um, that it has to be within a global framework as we're all navigating in and outside of the globe. And what I would say, if anything the pandemic should have taught us, if you're a learner, was that like we we live in this really dynamic global space. So someone's getting on a plane, you know, and they're living in a global space or they're in and out of different countries. You know, whatever is happening there, they're going to bring here, and that is new technology, new ways of thinking, and also a global health crisis. So so I think in order to be able to address world problems, we have to understand equity and inclusion from a global context, um, and we have to operate in that nuance. And what it also does for us as people who are working in this space as practitioners as educators who focus in the DEI space, it actually just makes us our work more nuanced and I think um, and it helps us to make us more relevant. Um, for the ways in which that we're like operating in terms of doing our research and our teaching and our scholarship and so so I, I, I think for me sort of being in this global space in this global context i'm both 
operating in the here and now, the realities of like you know, the dynamics in which we live, especially with the greater integration of technology and how we use to our work. But also, I think it's like a, the ability to be able to see emerging trends by working in a global context, because again, our world is going to be, become increasingly global. Um, and if you're not like, you know, taking it into consideration in the way that you approach this work, even now, um, you're going to be left behind. And I want to be relevant. <laughs> that is one thing I take away from fashion is relevancy. <laughs> and I want to stay relevant. Yeah, yes. That's what I have for you. <laughs> yes. Well, in that same vein, uh, what advice do you have for aspiring DEI justice and belonging leaders? Um, so what I would say is not only study like sort of DEIJ, right, and sort of the history and the frameworks and the pedagogy around like you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, belonging, access, all those like phrases, terms. But I would also say study that within a field context too. understand how DEIJ like, you know, works across technology, how it works across um, science, how it works across the humanities, um, if you're a humanist, if like under how it works across even as I just said, ah, fashion, right? Because like, you know, fashion is definitely becoming more and more defined by understanding what the needs of people with disabilities are. And you see how these new sneakers are being developed where you can just put your foot in and not have to worry, like need a shoe horse to get your foot into it to make it more to make them more accessible for people with disabilities. And so so I would say like if we want to make a major impact as we go forward, we know that the fields are is more and more focusing on like by 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 subject matter and by context and by field right and so so as understanding deij as again from the arts to to technology to science uh, to robotics right ai right and so as we think about like you know sort of the booming of robotics and ai um if we're not thinking about how that is being developed with bias in it um you know we're we're leaving a whole field behind and so as the field is going forward we have to go forward with the ways in which that things are moving. And I think like the field has to align itself more and more by with these different disciplinary approach, like disciplinary approaches and also by field and subject matter. Um, and so that's what I would say, understand it by field and subject matter context and how that overlaps um, to make yourself relevant. And then the other thing, because this work is not easy, make sure you have a community that you have a network of people that and someone once said this to me when I said, you know, oh, you know, you want to make certain that people are on your team. And she said, you also want to make certain that people have your corner in your corner. Right. And that like and because the work is not easy, being able to have a feel a posse, your board of trustees, your board of directors are going to not only be helpful, you know, as you're needing someone to problem solve with, but just to hold you up. Right, because um, as we know, this work is dynamic, it is tiring, and if you don't have a network of people to be able to bounce ideas off of and also to hold you up, um, you won't last as long. And so for those of us who've been in this field for a very long time, I think that's how we survive. Ooh, survival, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> whole thing, a whole thing. So Dr. France, when you think about healing and growing in the context of higher education, what possibilities exist um, around holistic, transformative uh, learning spaces? I think, again, where people will say, um, you know, we need to take time to restore and like ourselves, and which I firmly agree, you know, do 
like things that are going to bring you joy and that are going to bring you fulfillment and happiness, right? And it has to be both in your work and outside of your work. You have to find that space, right? Because this work is a lot, right? I I have not, will not watch the video of um, Tyree Nichols. I never watched like, you know, the video of, I have not watched any other video of any other black, black bodies being harmed because I've made a choice in terms of protecting myself and protecting my wholeness, right? And I would encourage others to figure out what that means for them um, in the midst of like navigating this like very complex world. The other thing I would say, in addition to individual self-care, which I think is important, but not to use it as an excuse to, to be messy and sloppy. But, but then the other thing I would say is how are we working with each other to hold each other up? And I think that's the other thing that's important, right? Because we can be all about taking care of ourselves and in the midst of that, causing more harm towards other people. And like in the spirit of like, you know, I'm just taking care of myself. But I like am of the mindset that like, you know, if we collectively rise up, all of us rise up. Like, and so if I'm committed to like the rise up of black women, women of color, if I'm committed to the rise up of people with disabilities, I'm going to rise up too. And so, so that like, you know, for me is what's also important finding like, you know, the, not only taking care of myself, but who else am I helping? Who else am I lifting up? Right. And especially for those who, you know, have different forms of like oppressions or biases that they experience in the world. How am I actually practicing solidarity and um, looking beyond myself, including myself, but looking beyond myself. And as I'm thinking about the ways in which that I operate in the world. Well, a major theme of our podcast is centering minoritized voices. And mm. um, one of the themes I'd say of this season is also thinking about ways that we're centering ourselves and choosing ourselves. So you kind of mm. talked about self-care a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what ways are you choosing yourself in mm. this moment um, to stay centered and connected to uh, whoever you would perceive to be our creator, our creator or to yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's a work in progress for me, to be really honest, if you're can if I'm candid, like with myself and the world or whomever else is listening to this, right? Um, but what I would say things that I've tried to get more conscious of since like the pandemic, especially, and where like a lot of us had a renewed sense of self and figuring things out in different ways. And so for myself is trying to get better at doing things that not doing things that don't break, make me happy, right? Or or not doing things in which that like I, I'm doing just because of a sense of obligation. Uh, where, you know, and I, sometimes that means the word no. Or other times it might mean like, no, not that, but I can do this. Or it might be, no, not right now, right? Or just outright no, right? Um, and so the greater integration of the word no, which I have not always been good at and been getting better at that. Um, also trying to fit in time um, to take time away, right? And so I'm in the middle of a transition going into Tufts um, and leaving my current role at NYU in just a few weeks, several weeks. And I've built in now like a, a short vacation, right? And so for myself to restore as a transition trip, right? And so fitting into those things more often is helpful for me. That doesn't work for everyone, right? And some people will say, of course, which I think is ideal, doing those things throughout, like, you know, throughout, so that it's not like you wait for one moment, you store it all up. And so I'm trying to get better at that, like not perfect. Um, but, but I certainly try to put in those like very pivotal moments of, 
um, some time to just like, you know, to download or be in a place that makes me happy, which is usually water, some stand, sand and a pool by the beach, right? Which I love because you can just sit by the pool all day with a book. And, you know, at some point in time, like it becomes like adult time, right? Happy hour or whatever it might be, right? Time to just completely decompress. And so, so that's like important to me. And the last thing I would say is um, like trying to integrate as much as I can, even when I travel, um, things for my fitness and health, right? And so that is hard, not always easy, but um, try to fit that in. Um, and I actually find myself better when I travel than I am when I'm actually at home, which is interesting what I've realized. So, so that's the other thing. And then the last thing is trying to take better stock of like uh, in that sort of greater sense of self-awareness, reflection, and it used to be a lot more meditation, trying to reintegrate that back into my life um, and trying to restore that in some ways that are meaningful. So, so I would say that, like, so the meditation, downtime, finding joy and, do, and making certain, I integrate those things that bring me joy into my life and, and the word no exists as well. <laughs> and reminding myself, no, is a fine word. <laughs> no is self-care yeah and a complete sentence yes <laughs> period dot com <laughs> exclamation yes. mark yes. well Marl, thank you thank you for your time the last thing that we love to do with our guests is that we love to do the lightning round okay. and in the lightning round it's this or that you must choose there's no middle ground here oh uh, <laughs> i'm an academic i don't like, like well I'm we so can pause slightly <laughs> for explanation but we can't okay. we can't yes. sit on the fence all right yes, okay so the city or the beach? The beach. Business class or comfort plus? Business class. All the time. If I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bougie. <laughs> Justice needs flowers too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on a t-shirt? Oh, like that. Yes, yes. Um, not a heat or encore? Oh, that's a really hard one. And I don't know which team I want to be on today because I, who, who do I want coming after me? But I would say, I would have to say in this, at this point in my career, not a heat. Yeah. Gucci or Chanel? Oh, Gucci. They have more men options. Rihanna or Beyonce? Ooh. Navy <laughs> or B? Ooh. So I am going to have to go and I'm about to get taken down by the beehive, but I'm going to have to go Rihanna. Rihanna's always been my girl. So, and I love Rihanna. I love me some, some Beyonce, but I'm going to have to go with Rihanna. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Cameron don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm going to go with the billionaire. I'm going to go with the billionaire. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to actually want her to go do Coachella this year. And yes. she's playing, she's playing games. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Dr. Monroe, France. Yeah, your energy is electric. Uh, we appreciate you taking some time to sit with us, to be in community with us, and to share your brilliance with those who listen. So thank you. Thank you. So yeah, feel free to reach out to Monroe if you have questions about your career trajectory and you're thinking about DEI work. What's problematic this week? So you have not been watching SWV and Escape, the Queens of R&B reality show? I I don't know what's going on. You know, I Do you like those two groups? Yeah, I I need to watch it. I just haven't- So the first two episodes are actually on YouTube. So while you're cooking dinner, while you're cooking dinner, you can pull up a little- (laughs) Coco Melon. Man, (laughs) PJ Masks. Okay. So what is problematic this week, and I'm using this reality show as an example, is how we- 
uh, oftentimes make excuses. And who I would like to highlight and spotlight is Tamika Scott, who is one of the sisters in the group Escape. Her sister, Latasha Scott, allegedly is accused of stealing royalties from her sister. Tamika saying they deposited her royalty checks into her husband's account. Okay. Happened years ago, never came out. Anyway, it's on the reality show. They get into it. This comes out in the argument and their mother, Tamika struggled with this and she talks about it, that her mother oftentimes picks favorites and her favorite is Latasha. And it like, come as a viewer, you can see it in the episode. And Tamika is really hurt by this because for years she's she's kind of hidden it in a sense of protecting her sister when um, there are issues within the group. She just automatically sided with her sister and she shares that she did that um, because that would oftentimes be the time when she got the favorable attention from her mother. And you can just see the toxicity, the the generational curse and issues that and trauma that's happening in the family. Um, and Tamika admits to making excuses of this behavior over and over again throughout the years. And she was like, oh, I can't I can't keep doing it if I want to sustain my own sanity. Um, and it just made me really think about how we all often do this in our own personal lives, not just with our family, but either with our loved ones, uh, in friendships, um, with friends that that we've known for years and we excuse their behavior as if that's just them, when oftentimes what is just them is often hurting us. Um, and I just wanted to come here to say that that is problematic as fuck and we got to stop doing it. Um, Ciao. I'll, I'll cut you off before I cut my finger. I will not allow you to harm me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I learned that from my family. Them harming us becomes a norm, right? Like we normalize the harm and the trauma that people cause us sometimes. Because sometimes they do some nice things. And, and that sounds a lot like these jobs that we're working in mm. these higher education settings. Like you excuse poor performance, poor behavior. Poor supervision. Um, poor supervision, poor support. Uh, because every now and then something good happens and that's abusive. So yeah, I, I I have not seen this episode or these, this season. I would like to actually, I saw, I did see some advertisements once when I was folding clothes, but I have not been able to watch it yet. And does she ever talk about uh, her wearing the green dress? Does Tamika ever talk about the green dress? Oh, what, the award show? Uh, No, but they've talked about it in like pressed on the press tour publicizing oh. it hasn't come i don't think it's come up in the episodes yet but i did watch an interview with them and they talked about it both both sides like they've been doing separate presses so the three of them will do it candy tiny tamika have been done doing press together and tasha has been doing press but you know who is a breath of fresh air on this show s coco u v coco okay okay I already Coco knew that. Been refreshing. Coco, this last episode, Coco talked about having bipolar disorder and how getting medicated and and um, therapy has helped her. And uh, she she's hilarious. She is not taking any crap. Escape talking about we want to be the headliners. <laughs> and Taj and Coco are like, um, we talked about co-headlining. How do y'all get to? Why do y'all think y'all should be the headliners? And SWV had to pull out the receipts, honey. Sold over 30 million records. Okay. How many did Escape sell? Seven. Seven million. So I did. Okay. I don't mean to belabor this, but I did get to see that one show uh, when TV One did their Behind the Music. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did get to see that. And they 
uh, escape. And uh-huh. they just seemed really out of touch with what the real was <laughs> when um, when they were comparing themselves to other groups and whatnot in that era. I was like, oh, uh, uh. and, and even Tiny comes in and was like, well, Candy and I have been on TV and we got this following. So like our followers are going to come to the show. And I'm just like, followers do not equate to ticket sales. Mm-hmm. So then somebody pulled the receipt. This is why I still love Twitter, because the girls are always going to have a receipt for you. They pulled the receipt of current day streaming. So in one month on Spotify, SWV gets over 3 million streams. How many you think Escape get? Uh, um, 500,000? 800,000, girl. Not That's even close. hitting a million. You are, they wouldn't even hit a million. So, the, you know, they were, they was coming through with the receipts of like, okay, why do y'all think y'all should be headlining anything? And SWV is being nice by saying we should co-headline this. I mean, a, a part of me also can't be mad at Candy because she is a businesswoman and you can't get what you don't ask for. Mm-hmm. So I just think that she was trying to negotiate, but it was a little disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait till you get caught up because it's my new favorite reality show at the current time. <laughs> you said what, what, what streaming service is this? It's on Peacock. It's a Bravo show. But the first two episodes, I don't know if they're going to put the whole season up, but the first two episodes are actually on YouTube, full episodes. Okay. Okay. I'll let you know. Okay. So you ready for these jokes? Give them to me. Give them to me. Give them to me. I got some. Why couldn't the toilet paper cross the road? It was crowded. He got stuck in a crack. (laughs) (laughs) When does a sandwich cook? When it's hot. When it's bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Bacon. That's so you bacon it in the oven. I, but you gotta be country. Bacon. When it's bacon. Bacon. Okay. Lettuce and tomato in the oven. Okay, okay. What do you call a marathon for pastors? I don't know. The last time we did a religious joke, I think I got in trouble. I might have too. <laughs> a rev run. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine TD Jakes in a marathon. Good night. <laughs> what state has the smallest drinks? The smallest drinks. Rhode Island. Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Don't you know? Well, Dr. Soraya M. Coley, president of Cal Poly Pomona, will receive the American Council on Education, also known as ACE, Donna Shavlik Award for her efforts in support of the success of women. Also, congratulations to Dr. Caleb Briscoe, who will be moving on to the University of Oklahoma, assistant professor in educational leadership and policy studies. Khalil Cabron once noted, friendship is always a sweet responsibility, never an opportunity. And we spoke about this just a few seconds ago and what's problematic. And we hope that you end your week reflecting upon the things you get to do with and for the ones you love and hold dear, rather than the things you have to do with and for them. Never take for granted your shared responsibility in creating chosen family and the beauty that graces the world as a result of your contributions to building communities. There are countless generations that will rely upon the sturdiness of the threads we weave together in the here and now. And we hope you're able to relish in this sweet responsibility. Amen. We hope that you enjoy a prosperous week. That concludes this episode of Scholar Tea. Two scholars. Giving you the tea. Boop, boop.